It's all coronavirus all the time on This Week in the CLE. It's back, it's raging, and we'll be talking about it quite a bit today. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer for a Friday. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues Layla Tassi, Laura Johnston, and Jane Cahoon heading into her final weekend as a member of our <laughs> podcast crew. You're breaking our hearts, Jane. Uh, you keep reminding me. Yeah, I keep reminding you because I have to numb myself to it. Aww. It's like, you know, salt in the wound kind of thing. <laughs> it's looking like a rainy weekend, though, huh? Uh, at least humid and hot. Yeah, hot, humid. And that means you'll probably be going to an Indians game, right, Jane? <laughs> I, I actually am going to be going to an Indians game. <laughs> I'm going tonight, the... too. This is my first game in like two and a half years. So exciting. Yeah. Jane seems to get the best weather when she goes to the Indians games. <laughs> okay, let's begin. Which of Cleveland's big three hospital systems did the right thing and mandated vaccines for its staff to protect its patients? And which two hospital systems did not? Leila Latassi, it's nice to see one of them having the leadership to do the right thing. Who is it? And it's it, not a surprise. It's Metro Health. They announced this week that it's that they are requiring employees, including contractors and volunteers, to get the vaccine. And employees have a, have the deadline of October 30th. So it's coming up. University hospitals and the Cleveland Clinic, on the other hand are stragglers. Shame. Shame. <laughs> they say that, you know, they're concerned that too many healthcare workers would rather quit than get vaccinated, to which I say, good riddance. <laughs> if you are in healthcare and you are unwilling to get vaccinated, I don't think that you should be working in healthcare. Anyway, more than 80% of Metro's 7,800 employees are already vaccinated, which is good news. So it's not too far to go. And the hospital already requires, you know, flu vaccines every year and measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines as a condition of their employment. And employees, employees will be allowed to opt out of the vaccine for medical or religious exemptions. But anyone else who refuses it could get fired. Earlier, Metro was kind of flirting with the idea of requiring testing for employees who were unvaccinated, but they decided to just skip that step and go straight to the vaccination requirement, which uh, I think is a smart idea. And so, you know, yeah, the, the, the Mayo Clinic regularly is the number one hospital system in America in the U.S. News and World Report mm -hmm. rankings. And maybe this is a reason why they have the same kind of requirement that the clinic is not what would be a shame and kind of scary is if the clinic in UH use this to hire the employees that lose their jobs at Metro, flooding their system with a bunch of unvaccinated well. workers. <laughs> but, but right. you know, they're all, they're all desperate to find workers. And, you know, I keep hearing from people around town, not from the hospital systems themselves. They all had an agreement to do this together. And all of them pulled out except for, for Metro. And it exposes them. You know, they're doing the right thing. They're being the leader. The other ones are not. They're not doing. The, I mean, we are a healthcare center of the nation. You would think that our healthcare leaders would stand up and, and take a stand together. Uh, I just hope they don't try and profit from it. Maybe the other, the opposite will happen, Layla. All the people that care right. about vaccinations and public health will go work at Metro, well, that's, leaving the clinic so in UH funny. without workers. You should workers. say that. I was having this conversation with my husband last night. As you know, he's a, he's a nurse at, at the Cleveland Clinic main campus. And we were talking about the possibility that there would be this exodus of, of uh, unvaccinated workers from Metro headed to the Cleveland Clinic. And oh, what would that do to you know his life? And, and then we're like, wait a minute. 
then that would leave vacancies at Metro where everyone's <laughs> vaccinated. And I bet they'd offer signing bonuses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that if you care about health and you want to make sure people are safe, you might want to go work for the hospital system that is right. taking the bold decision. So, look, a credit to yeah, go ahead. It's a credit to Akron Boutros. He did the right thing. He stood up. And what's amazing is they did they made this announcement a couple hours before the heads of the clinic in UH mm-hmm, were mm-hmm. giving a city club speech, yeah. which put them on the hot seat. But like you said, they said, yeah, yeah we're not say, doing you know, it. Like the, the clinic CEO, Tom Holovic, said during that city club event that that hospitals are already understaffed. They're losing healthcare employees during this public health crisis that could jeopardize the clinic's ability to provide care. But then, you know, what what could really jeopardize the clinic's ability to provide care would be a COVID outbreak that wipes out half your workforce. So think that through. That that just doesn't make sense. I don't understand what what UH and the clinic are, you know, what, you know, and and it's FDA approved now. There is no excuse. The other danger is that patients will say, I want to go to the system where people care about me, not the system where I could be exposed. I've heard anecdotally of people going in for procedures and before they're put under saying, hey, is everybody here vaccinated? And inevitably somebody's not and they don't want to have the procedure. So this could also hurt the bottom line of those hospitals. If people say, I'm going to Metro, they care about their patients. Mm hmm. I don't know. It's a uh, it's an interesting one. I just, you know, the, the guidestone for decision making used to be what's the right thing to do. But that's gone out the window. <laughs> it's that's just right. like people are not doing the right thing. Why not? The right thing is set the example. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why did Jaga County's health board fire its health commissioner this week? Jen Cahoon, when I first heard about this, I thought it might be an outrage, but now that I know all the facts and it's kind of like, maybe they did the right thing here. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I guess you could just judge for yourself. He, apparently he was a bit too outspoken in advocating for coronavirus vaccinations and for mask wearing. Uh, this is a guy named Tom Quaid. He's well-regarded in his field, master's degree in public health from Yale and a past president of the American Public Health Association in the Ohio. Public Health Association. But what really raised the ire of some of the residents in Geauga County was a Facebook post in which he basically said insurance companies shouldn't cover unvaccinated people who end up getting COVID. And um, that that seemed to put his opponents, you know, people who already didn't like him just into overdrive. They They didn't like him already because they blamed him for mask mandates at some of the schools, and they they said he was condescending to people who who disagreed with them. But anyway, this all boiled over at this lengthy meeting Wednesday of the county health board, where a bunch of people showed up calling for his head, you know, saying he didn't reflect the values of their community and and things like that. Um, he did apologize for this Facebook post, and he deleted it, and he said he owns that mistake, and he he wouldn't repeat it, but. That did not quell the the calls for his removal, and it, in the end, the board did just that. They, a, a few people did speak on his behalf, and they praised him for his expertise in the handling of the uh, coronavirus crisis. So, I mean, I think, on the one hand, you know, he he was an advocate for science, um, but these opponents got some big ammunition against him when he when he did this post. So yeah. I'd be curious to know what you 
think about this. Look, they, they wanted him gone for all the wrong reasons. They didn't like them that he was trying to do public health. But when you're in the chief health role, you can't you can't be a jerk. You can't say things like if people get COVID and they're not vaccinated, they shouldn't get their, their treatment paid for. I mean, that's horribly cruel. And nobody in the health profession would stand by that. If you get sick, you have to be cared for and, and you shouldn't be bankrupted because of it. I, it's so, I know some people who agree with him. I, I know people agree with him, but they're not health commissioners. In right, the health right. commissioner when you're in role, that job. Right. You know, and, and you shouldn't be condescending to those who disagree with you in that role. We can be condescending. We can say these things. <laughs> but he's the health commissioner, and he has a duty to do what Bruce Vanderhoff does and speak like Mr. Rogers, right? I mean, that's the job. So I, I think that he kind of set himself up. He knew there were a bunch of people that wanted his neck, and he mm -hmm. gave him the ammunition in a way he shouldn't have. You should not, if you're running... If you're the guy in charge of public health, you shouldn't say we shouldn't pay for the treatment of people who get really sick. And that's why it's sad because you're right. Yeah. He pursued science. He and has they all the right did ideas. Not, obviously, they did not want to forgive him for this mistake. As you no, said, they just, you know. Because there are a bunch of anti-mask nutcases who are all going to get sick. <laughs> I mean, I don't get that whole thing about I'm not wearing a mask. It's not really that hard. You have to wear a shirt. What's so big a deal about the mask? But but he did kind of set himself up for yeah. losing his job. That was a All gift right, Layla, go to them. Ahead. No, I was just going to say like he 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 gift wrapped his resignation by by posting something like that. You know, you just when you're when you're in a role like that, but also when you're in a role like ours, you got to be cool, man. You can't just. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I, 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 when I was a columnist, I faced this all the time. You get people who are going to say things on Facebook or get in your face or call you all kinds of stuff. And Chris, you know this. And I think I learned it from you. You got to take a beat and just breathe into it and keep your cool. And so I think Tom Quay just lost it. He just, even if it was a momentary, you know, lapse of judgment, whatever. But man, you got to keep your cool <laughs> well, just keep it on facebook man just yeah keep it yeah keep it in your circle facebook i mean that's the place where you're you're gonna lose it and and um yeah you just have I mean, to that's how why, many yeah, times have we seen people <laughs> yeah get in trouble on social media right just like yeah because it's so yeah, easy I, they get right under your skin and it's and you can feel yeah i get it but yeah, yeah. he but he, he and he had and he knew that he had this audience i mean how many people there were 100 people there it took forever for them all to get up and say horrible things. I, I don't know. Maybe they confused it for a critical race theory meeting and they <laughs> showed up in big numbers for that and figured, okay, well, let's be anti-mask too. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why is the longtime downtown fixture for sports fans, the Winking Lizard near Progressive Field and Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, shutting down, at least temporarily, after three decades? Laura Johnston, anybody that's gone to a, a basketball game or a baseball game downtown has walked past there or stopped in there uh, to imbibe. Why are they not going to make it? Yeah, the Winking Lizard is an institution in Cleveland. And, you know, it, it's just, it's the staffing issue that we're looking at at a lot of different places. And it's going to close after the Indians game this Sunday. They don't have enough staff and they're not making enough money is what it comes down to. And it, we've seen this over and over again for months now with the issue of the restaurant industry and, and getting enough people to work. But the owner said it's brutal out there and that he wants to put his staff at locations that are doing better, including just down East 9th Street at the Galleria. He said it's doing better. They're making more money. So they're going to focus on that. 
What what was interesting is he said, look, the the baseball games and the basketball games, that's the icing on the cake. We didn't come for that. We came because there were a lot of businesses around here that have a lot of workers and they're not back. And so they're not getting their main source of sustenance in the regular downtown crowd. And so they can't make it. And with the crushing uh, blow of of the shortage of workers, they did say they're going to reassess after the first of the year, but they don't expect to see a difference in the availability of workers. Right. I mean, anywhere you walk around, you see help wanted signs. And it is funny because it probably is something about the location because you go to plenty of restaurants that are hopping and servers are probably making decent money because people are out and about still with patio season. But yeah, as it gets colder, I would think that it would be harder to make it happen. Actually, when you talk to the to the restaurant owners, they say that the workers are burning out because there's so few of them. They're working so many hours that they're getting sick of it. Uh, there's just it, it's a it's a tough time in the restaurant business. You're listening to this week in the CLE. It's deja vu all over again. It seems we're having daily discussions about skyrocketing coronavirus cases in Ohio, just like we did last fall and winter. What are the latest numbers and how far back do we have to go to find the last time we were at these heights? Leila Tassi, it's depressing out there. Oh, it's so depressing. We have reached a terrifying six-month high of 4,117 cases reported on Tuesday alone. And there are no signs that this is going to level off. Julie Washington reported this week that last year at this time, the rolling seven-day average for new cases was trending downward, and right now we are just spiraling out of control. The seven-day average of cases per day tripled from 1,095 a day at the end of July to 3,296 on Tuesday. That's the highest it's been since February 9th. At the same point last year, on August 24th, the average was 941 cases a day. So I don't know who out there needs to hear more stats to be convinced, but <laughs> I wanna, you know, hospitalizations I, are rising. There were you know just 202 hospital hospitalized patients on July 6th, and now you know the Ohio Hospital Association reported 2,095 COVID patients. Um, uh, the, the first time it was it was over 2,000 since February 8th, and among those hospitalized, 610 were in intensive care units. So. Uh, you know, gosh, our vaccination rate is still struggling. You know, 51% of Ohioans of, of all ages have gotten at least one shot. 60% have started the vaccine process. We're ticking up slowly, but... Yeah. Oh. I just, you know, this I'm, is Laura Johnson. Laura Johnson. I, when I saw that number come over yesterday, it was like 5,500. I was just having flashbacks to last Christmas when the number right. was hitting 11,000 or something. And you're just like, Jeez. how is this happening? Like, again... Remember, like, June, we are like, oh, the pandemic is over. And now it's insane. I know. The the question I keep getting asked by people, and I don't have a good answer, is if we have 60% of the eligible people vaccinated and we've had so many people get sick, aren't we going to run out of people that can get infected? Uh, And the, the science on it just isn't clear. I mean, some of the studies I've seen have said, that that the getting covid doesn't really give you all that much immunity it doesn't right. give you lasting immunity and some people that have had it twice the second time was was much much worse and Ugh. so i don't know i mean people ask and i just don't when you look i don't think the science is there yet and the delta variant is a completely well, new and- animal here does do, do you ever get the herd immunity? There are some people that speculate that with a coronavirus, there is no such thing because the human body forgets the immunity. 
Well, and I saw a study that was one in five cases is someone who was vaccinated. So, I mean, we're still seeing cases, hopefully not nearly as severe, of people who were vaccinated. So, you know, you... Yeah, but... Keep... But the bulk of the people in the hospital, True. The far yes. and away, the right. bulk are unvaccinated. But if we're talking the people... about cases, yeah, the number of ca- you're right. There are a lot of there are a lot of breakthrough cases now. There's so many. I don't think anybody's even able to track them. But the people that are in the hospital uh, who are unvaccinated, it's still in the ninety percentage point area. And you look, we say, and you still have kids. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. got little kids. Parents wrote a story today. Parents are begging their doctors to give their young kids the vaccine even though it's not approved and, because they're petrified by the stories of what's happening in schools where we're seeing breakout cases i know people who have tall kids who are you know they they went and got them they don't have to prove they were 12 and they're just like i want them vaccinated now and yeah. i really yeah well i told you that chris the other day i know somebody who who faked their kids age and took them to get vaccinated but i didn't realize height was the determining factor well, so I mean, you just, I mean, she's just saying that they pass <laughs> yeah they look older they look older yeah, i guess you could take a sharpie and put a beard on them or something <laughs> yeah that it's da- but, but it you know that's that's a risk because there's a reason the fda hasn't approved it for those kids yet i mean the, the fda right. has a rigor that they put these things through well, and they're not ready to say it's time correct but they are looking at the size of kids and how much they weigh and what the right dosage is and and all that is incredibly important. I, I just think yeah. some parents are weighing the risk and they're saying, I want my kid protected from this variant, especially if they're going to school that doesn't have a mask mandate. Right. Which is crazy. The school I, should I have just, a mask I mandate. just can't, I can't believe how, how we are struggling to get to this, this critical number of vaccination. I mean, remember the days when people were like, where am I going to get my vaccine? They were scrambling and, and sitting in parking lots waiting for the, the extra doses and stuff, thinking that we, and now you could probably get a vaccine at the liquor store now. <laughs> like, well, I wish. I want seeing, my third one. <laughs> seeing all these different places coming out with incentives, like Jack Casino this week is going to pay their employees to get it. Um, Kent State's got a $32,000 raffle giveaway for their staff and so like i mean people are throwing money at the problem and and they can't get vaccinated it just seems like they i I can't believe we're not seeing something more innovative coming along well but you got people that are dead set against it you're not going to change their minds of money it's become politicized and it's a wedge issue and they're just not going to get the vaccine they're anti-science this week in the cle with a map due to ohio voters for review on wednesday are the Republicans and Democrats on the Ohio Redistricting Commission working peacefully together to produce it? Jane Coon, I don't think this answer is going to surprise anybody. Yeah, not really, I would say. that They're still hung up on their own internal rules and their meeting schedule, which, and that's going to dictate when the public is finally going to get its first look at some of these maps. As, as we reported the other day, the both the Republicans and the Democrats are separately and privately working on their own map proposals, but they haven't yet gotten together to negotiate on them. So during this public hearing, the commission held on Thursday in Lima, House Speaker Bob Cupps said he hopes they're going to introduce these rules in the next few days. And he was responding after the commission's two Democrats, Minority Leader Amelia, House Minority Leader Amelia Sykes and State Senator Vernon Sykes, both of Akron, Uh, They were pressing for public discussion on the timetable for the introduction of these maps. I guess a sticking point here is the number of public hearings they're going to have and when they will occur before 
the maps are voted on. So Senator Sykes said he wants these meetings to begin immediately and there and for there to be three meetings before September 1st. So three meetings before Wednesday. Uh, others on the commission have privately committed to holding three hearings, but between September 1st and September 15th, um, I guess the Ohio Constitution requires uh, a single hearing during that time. And and uh, But anyway, regardless, they've got to produce these state legislative maps for the Ohio House and Senate by September 1st and give them a final approval by September 15th. And if the two Democrats can agree to that map, it would be in effect for, for 10 years. So Senator Sykes said he wants maps to be introduced at the commission's next official meeting, which they haven't scheduled yet. So And they're due yeah. Monday. Uh, they're due Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, right. it's, it's so, like th th this is proof that they're not working together. The commission is a commission in name only. What's going to happen is the Republicans who are in the back room somewhere are going to put the map out there. That's the first time the Sykes, the Sykeses <laughs> will see it. And and then everybody will start to, to debate it. The, the whole idea of creating a commission to do this together and jointly and transparently, it's been just tossed out the window. Yeah. I mean, if they can't even agree what their rules are five days before they have to show us a map, then it's clear they're not working together in, in collaboration at all. Yeah. It does not look good for yeah. people who want to stamp out gerrymandering, but they do have to follow the rules. I can't wait to see whatever they put out there on Wednesday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, Jane, that's going to be your first day of retirement. So we yeah. won't be able to talk to you about it. I'll, I'll just be the audience uh, enjoying the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. The greater Cleveland music venues have done it. Some sports teams are doing it. What Akron tradition is the latest entity to require people to be vaccinated against the coronavirus? Or Johnson, you might have even participated in this at some point in your life. I did, actually. I uh, ran in a relay with my husband, my mom, my sister when I was like five months pregnant. So not my best time, but um, the Akron Marathon. So all runners and event volunteers are um, required to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or have a negative test within 72 hours before the race. And that's on September 25th. And the idea is pretty simple. They want to protect the health and safety of the public during this increase in COVID cases. So even though it's an outdoor event, I mean, you've seen a marathon, the beginning, you are packed in there with people. And then they have a really big race party at the end and they want people to enjoy themselves and be safe. So get your, your test or your vaccine. You know, you can't really wear a mask when you're no, running. I mean, you no, can, no, but no. you'd be do miserable. Not, do not do that. And we, you know, it's interesting. We did stories last year about the kind of, it's not a vapor trail, but but mm -hmm. as you run or ride a bike, the how far back people should be behind you so they're not breathing whatever you're exhaling. And that was before the Delta variant. That was when 15 minutes of exposure were the was the guide for when you'd get sick. Now... You, you walk by somebody who has the Delta variant, you get it. So with the heavy breathing of people running in a marathon, if one runner had it, you could see an outbreak that would affect hundreds and hundreds. So it makes a lot of sense to say, no, 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 we're not going to have anything but this. Um, an outdoor event seems like you don't need to do it. But in this case, I think you're right. The way they pack them together and the way they're breathing heavily. But 
you can still go to an OSU football game without a mask <laughs> and without proof of vaccine, as we discussed yesterday. I don't know, man. There's a disconnect between these two events. Well, may- it seems like maybe the people who are running, like maybe marathon runners, it'd be interesting to see like a statistic poll of like percentage of people with in- outdoor interests. Like, you know, are runners more likely to be vaccinated or like football fans it'd be interesting to see the (laughs) breakdown right so so basically you're saying runners like you are the intellectual elite and get shots (laughs) the fred flintstones of the world are sitting in the horseshoe that's what i heard (laughs) okay you're listening to this week in the zle what notorious Ohioan is being sued by the Capitol Police over the January 6th insurrection that was sparked by then-President Donald Trump? Leila Tassi, these things always seem to have a way of getting resolved in the courts when the criminal justice system doesn't mm-hmm. quite do its job. Yes. So Jessica Watkins is a bartender from Champaign County. She's listed as a defendant in this case filed in, in U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C., along with her fellow Oath Keepers, which is that far right group that believes elected leaders are taking away Americans' rights. And uh, and oh, yeah, Roger Stone, that walking cartoon villain. He's also listed as a <laughs> defendant. And uh, this this suit marks the first time that the Capitol Police officers have have alleged Trump incited the violence on the, that awful day when the nut job stormed the Capitol to try to stop Congress from certifying the results of the 2020 presidential election. And the suit identified Watkins as the leader of the Ohio State regulated militia and a member of the Oath Keepers and says that her group and the Proud Boys mobilized in in direct response to Trump's command. And they were outfitted in paramilitary equipment, helmets and reinforced vests. She once served in the U.S. Army in Afghanistan. But like many people, she has become warped by social media and by her, you know, undying devotion to Trump. And she is in federal detention right now, pending her trial on charges of conspiracy, destruction of government property and civil disorder. My favorite part of the story, though, is how brazen these people were after storming the Capitol and bragging about it on social media. And, and you know, I, I guess I'd read this quote before from her her Facebook page, but reading it again made me laugh out loud. She was like, yeah, we stormed the Capitol today, tear gassed the whole nine, pushed our way into the rotunda, made it into the Senate even. The news is lying, even Fox, about the historic events we created today. You know, I mean, wow, just wow. (laughs) Catching these perpetrators should have been like shooting fish in a barrel. This is they made it so easy. The the interesting thing is, is that there was talk after the, the, the Congress didn't impeach Donald Trump for this, that that criminal prosecutors for the Washington, D.C. district would charge him. He he basically incited a riot. That is a crime. There is no way around it. And I think anybody who watches the video of what he said, uh, you know, a jury of his peers very likely could convict them of that. But they didn't. And so and we've seen this kind of thing before in Cleveland when a Cleveland police officer shoots and kills somebody and the, the, the disciplinary process clears them people resort to the civil side to to get money damages and bring responsibility that way. And I think it's interesting, the Capitol Police, who were in the jackpot on this, those were the folks that defended the Capitol, were getting attacked by their fellow citizens, are the ones trying to bring accountability to Donald Trump for basically trying to overthrow the government of the United States. It's good to see somebody holding it accountable. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see whether the courts support this. Although 
she, Jessica Watkins, a bar, like a, you're suing a bartender. Like, what are you going to get out of this? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, Roger Stone has deep pockets, but some of these folks, is it worth, is it worth the cost, the expense and the agony of going through the civil? I mean, maybe for, I'm wrong. For, to get true accountability, to get, to get a finding that yes, this happened. Look, there are a bunch of Republicans in Congress now trying to convince America that this wasn't an insurrection. It's, you know, it's like the people who say the Holocaust didn't happen. And, you know, there's tons of video. We all saw it, but there's a bunch of sheep in the country that are accepting that this is just an exaggeration. We all know what happened that day and there has been no accountability. So, so why, why is Donald Trump not named as a defendant in this particular know. lawsuit? I, I mean, jeez, why walk around? Why they're just dancing around the, the fact that he he was at the heart of it. I mean, the, the Oath Keepers and, and Jessica Watkins said we were responding to what we thought were commands from our, our leader. Right. It was an insane. He yelled fire in a crowded theater. You're not allowed to do that. And yet so far he's gotten away with it. Mm-hmm. Be interesting to see how the courts respond to things like this and to see if they if we see more of it. And, and why aren't the federal prosecutors in the D.C. district doing something about this? A crime occurred that day. Right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE, and that'll do it for another week of news discussions. We have three days left with you, Jane Cahoon, next week. I don't know. We're going to have to do something special. On, or no, two days. Two days left, right? Two days. Yeah, Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, we're going to have to do something special to, to send you off from this Cake podcast. Cake on the podcast. Cake <laughs> oh, our probably don't want to hear me sing, like, you know, for she's a jolly girl. Oh, boy. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nobody's going to listen now. If that's what they're thinking. We're going we're to hear singing. No singing. I promise. We're in big trouble. Okay. Well, thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. Come on back Monday. We'll be talking about the news some more.